The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. It, it almost seems like I'll never be able to get out of or away from all the mess that sin's caused in my life. And a lot of it is not so much being guilty before God. I've had people come to my office and say, why is God still punishing me? God's not punishing you at all. Once you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, all the punishment of your sins on him. He's not punishing you for your sins, but in fact, you are dealing with the consequences left over from your sin. You see, uh, I've used this illustration before, so I'm 66. You forgive me if I forget and start again. But, but I'm driving my car down Yale Road and I'm speeding. It's against the law to speed. It's also against heaven's law to disobey earth's law. So I'm speeding and a child comes off down one of those hills on his tricycle and I swerve to avoid hitting the child and I roll and bounce my car and I have a bad wreck and I end up in the hospital and uh, they, they tell me that my right arm has been so injured that they're going to have to amputate my right arm. And I say, oh God, forgive me of speeding. Does he? Well, sure, he'd already done that. That punishment, a guilt of sin was on Jesus. Is my right arm going to grow back? No. And I'll live the rest of my life without a right arm, and that's a consequence of the sin. It is not God punishing me. Got it? We'd look at it like this. Uh, go down to the corner store, take your pistol and rob the clerk and get the $20 that's in the cash register and pistol whip the girl in the store and treat her ugly. You leave and you get a 10-year prison sentence. So you serve your 10-year prison sentence. In the eyes of the state of Tennessee, you've paid your price. You've done your time. They're not hunting for you anymore to put you back in jail. But do you reckon that clerk down at the store is going to welcome me back with open arms? No. And I'll be known as a robber and a thief. And that'll hang over my head as a consequence of what I did. The judicial guilt has been paid. It's passed. It's over. But I am still suffering from consequences. Well, as believers we endure and encounter that same situation. Now, the Bible teaches that they that were all sinners, all have sinned and coming short of the glory of God. You know, there are a lot of good people, really good people on earth, but they're still sinners and they're still lost because there was a little caveat put in that deal. It says we've all sinned by coming short of the glory of God. I know some really good people, but do you know anybody that's godly, all the time godly? No. So we've all 
sin by coming short of the glory of God. And the penalty of sin is death. Not only physical sin, but eternal death. Not only physical death, but eternal death. You see, physical death can be defined as the separation of the soul from the body. When I die, the body's there, but life has moved on. For the Christian, thank God, absent from the body is present with the Lord. But death would be defined as when the spirit and the body separate. But eternal death is when the spirit is separated from God forever in hell. But it's defined by the spirit being separated from God forever. So you see, the wage of sin is death. But he didn't leave us there. He sent his son to die for us to give us eternal life. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him. Now the him there is Jesus. Now, now catch this. God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah says God laid on him the sin of us all. Jesus is hanging on the cross and literally God rounds up all of the sin of the entire world and puts it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he dies for the penalty of sin for everybody in the world. Now, everybody doesn't take advantage of it because everybody doesn't trust him as Lord and Savior. But he died sufficiently for every last person on the planet. He died sufficiently for that. God laid on him all of our sin. And so far as I can tell, sin was dealt with in one place, Ron Seaton likes to say in space, time, and history, God dealt with sin one place, one time, and that is he punished Jesus for our sin. So we can take advantage of it, or we can say, no, thank you, go to hell and pay for it ourselves. See, Jesus did it. He paid the price of sin. And sometimes I encourage people to take a little mental journey Take a, little, take a little picture in your mind and you're there and you're at the cross and there's the thief and the thief and the crowd. Make, but there's Jesus and he's hanging there and he's dying. And you want to bow right in front of him in your mind. He you say, oh God, I'm so sorry my sin put you there. I am so sorry. But thank you. Thank you for dying for me. And I trust and accept you now as Lord and Savior of my life. That's it. That's how you believe in I tell people all the time, I'm just like a little kid. I've just crawled up into his arms. He did it. I'm just along for the ride. Thank you, Lord. The Bible tells me, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now listen carefully. 
because it says with the heart, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and then with the mouth confession is made to salvation and somehow or another the church I don't understand how the church got in the church business I mean they had this manual to go by they had this book God gave them so you just do this and then there's all kind of isms and schisms came out of that and people are issy this and I see that and you know, Ron Seater and I having lunch the other day, and uh, we both talking. There's the Calvinist thought, and there's the the uh, Armenian thought, and there's this thought and that thought. And I said, Ron, what are you? He said, I'm a biblicalist. A biblicalist. Isn't that true? Man, it can't be that hard. But Jesus said, if you believe in their heart, you'll be saved. Well, we write little books. And say, read this little book and pray a prayer. Where on earth does it say in the Bible, you read a little book and pray a prayer? We just walk out, shake hands with the preacher, confess your sins. No, you go to the baptism, get baptized. That'll get you saved. No, man. Baptism is a testimony of what Jesus has already done for me. I was once dead in sin. So you bury something dead and stinking and you arise in newness of life. Preacher don't save nobody. You don't come forward and shake it. Preacher doesn't save you. Reading a book doesn't save you. Praying a prayer may or may depends on whether you mean it or not. What the passage of Scripture says, if you believe in your heart, that Jesus died, God raised him from the grave. He did it for you. The person of God in the form of his son came and took on flesh, died for me, took my sin. God put it on him and there's an exchange that takes place. When I believe in him, he becomes guilty of my sin and then he makes me righteous in his own eyes. It's a gift. He just did it. Am I really righteous? No, I'm still stinking mess. But when God sees me, he sees me forever and always in Jesus. He sees me covered with the blood. He sees me as his child. He made him to be who, who knew no sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. For, and then that I could become the righteousness of of God. It's kind of like I'm a little poor boy living on the street and somebody died and made me a millionaire. I'm just wandering around on the street eating out of garbage cans, begging. And some lawyer chases me down one day and says, Son, somebody's left you $10 million. Well, who? This man. I've never heard of this man. Doesn't matter if you heard of him or not. He left you $10 million. If you come down here and sign this piece of paper, your bank account will have $10 million in it. And all of a sudden, I go from being a pauper to worth $10 million just because somebody else did it for me and I said, thank you. That's it. He did it for you. All you do is believe and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
Now, we're going to stop right this minute. It's not time for music. Don't We're not going to have an invitation here. We're just going to stop right this minute. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, why don't you just do that right now? Now, I'm going to pray a prayer, but it's not the prayer, remember. It's the meaning of your heart. So I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray. And if you agree with it, you just do the same thing. You mean it. Lord Jesus, it is that simple. And I believe in you. And I'm sorry that I hadn't trusted you. In fact, I've lived against you. But right now, I reach out and take you by the hand. I thank you. I love you. Thank you for dying for me. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, uh, I raised uh, three children. Now I'm going through raising grandkids. And even they're getting bigger. But uh, used to, you'd get out there and you'd get ready to cross Yale Road. And you'd look down at one of your little ones and you say, son, put your hand up here in daddy's hand. That little fella just reach his hand up. And we'd start across Yale Road. I want to ask you a question. When my foot left the curb, who was holding on to who? You think that little fella could have got away from me? Only way on God's earth that little fella get run over, both of us have to get run over. You believe that? You believe that? So you just reach up and take your daddy Jesus by the hand. That's what you did just now if you prayed that prayer. If you've done it at all, if you've done it ever in your life, that's what you did. You just reached up and, and, and took what he's offered you. You've taken it, and now who's holding on to who? He's got a hold of you. He's not going to turn loose. But boy, I wish it was that simple, don't you? Don't you wish you just ended right there? I'd never be bad again. I'd never do anything wrong again. I just, in fact, it might be just good to sail off into heaven right about that time. Just get on out of here. But sadly, we do not become instant Christian adults. And so what happens? As we are growing, as we are maturing, we still stumble and fumble along and we commit sin. And what does that do? Well, that creates a not, a, not a loss of salvation. That doesn't create a situation where we are, are separated from God forever, but it does create a situation where our fellowship is broken, our camaraderie is broken, the love relationship. It's kind of like being married and saying something ugly to each other. I mean, it wasn't a divorce. But it ain't like it's huggy-kissy right now either, is it? You know? And uh, so there's got to be a little bit of repair work done. <laughs> there's got to be a little bit of repair work done before it's all uh, huggy-kissy again. And uh, so let me share with you a passage of Scripture out of the book of John this morning. First John. Now listen to this. First John is not John 1. First John is a little bitty little bitty five book in the back of the Bible near Revelation. So the easiest way to do that is look in your Bible on the front page and it'll have a, it'll have a, a little index, tell you where everything is. Find, where first, find what page First John's on, turn to it. First John chapter 1. Not St. John chapter 1, but First John chapter 1. 
Here's what the Bible says in verse 7. Well, if we walk in the light, in other words, if we, if we walk like he shows us, like he reveals to us, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, well, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself, he himself is the propitiation between our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that's a hard word in there called propitiation. I don't like hard words, so let me help you. It's a go-between. A propitiator is a go-between. Like when I hurt Linda's feelings, I called Thomas. Because she ain't mad at him right then. So I called Thomas. I said, Thomas, come here. Would you go give this to your grandmother? Tell her granddaddy loves her. What are you laughing at me for? Y'all ain't never tried nothing like that, have you? Huh? You've never tried to have a go-between work for you. You're lying like a dog. You do it with your boss. Go in there and tell him John's really a good, hard-working guy. He just kind of blew that. That's a go-between. That's a propitiator. Okay? And so... That's what, uh, that's what Jesus is constantly. He is a go-between between ourselves and holy God. And oh, it's worse than that. I don't understand it, but the Bible says that somehow or another the devil's given access to, to heaven and he's up there 24-7 accusing the brethren. In case, in case we think God might miss something, which he didn't. But we, in case God might miss something, the devil's going to point it out. So look at what John did. Did you see that God? You let that fool preach and he still does. You, I can't believe it. He's an embarrassment to you. And Jesus said, he's not an embarrassment to me. I died for him. Father, he's one of ours. He's one I died for. And there's constant go between between Jesus and the Father on our behalf all the time. And so what you need to do is when you mess up, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I did it. And it's, it's taken care of right there. The, the go between goes and God takes care of it. It's done away. It's forgiven. It's, it's made clean. It's made right. Have you ever gone to God and said, I did it again? He don't even know what you're talking about. God has no idea what you're talking about when you said you did it again. 
because when he forgives it, it's removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Travel west someday and see if you can ever get east. You'd be dying going west. You know what I'm saying? You just never get east. You'd be keep going west all the time. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He is a constant go-between to restore the love life, to restore the community, to restore the fellowship between ourselves and God. Now, it's kind of dangerous to live out of fellowship with God. It's kind of bad to let, it's bad in a marriage to let your love life just go, go out. That's a, that's a pitiful marriage. You have to work at that constantly. You have to have Thomas help you out. I rent him out. He's real cheap. Okay? He's a go-between. And, uh, but you have to work on that constantly to get, to get that done, you see? And, and so, but you don't want to do that because there's three things that God does for me all the time. All the time, God does these three things. One is he leads me. He guides me. And wherever God guides, he provides. I like his provision, don't I? Sometimes I get a little bit hard-headed about the guiding. And now wherever he guides and provides, he protects. He takes care of his own. You know, I always tell you about those Israelites chased that cloud around out there in a circle for 40 years. And they finally say, I'm tired of this. Being out here in the desert, Look over there, there's some mountains, I can see some trees. Let's just go over there because wherever there's trees, there's got to be water over there someplace. There's probably a creek over there, there's some shade. We're going over there. And so they take off just a handful of them, you know, a hundred or so, go over there by themselves. And they get up the next morning and there's no manna on the ground. <laughs> what happened to our manna? Well, the provision of God's over where his guidance is. <laughs> You understand? So the manna's over there where God is. And then they start hearing those lions and tigers at night and hear those foreign drum beats and they're scared because there's no protection out from under the umbrella of God. You don't want to live like that. So what you want to do is make sure, Dr. Crichton used to tell us, preacher boys, said you give, you keep short accounts with God. You, you, you keep short accounts with God. You give the devil an inch, I'm telling you, he'll take whole nine yards. He'll get it all. You see, if you give him a foothold and you just let him work and you say, I'll catch up later, God. I'll catch up. I'm going over here right now. I'll catch up later. Boy, you can get yourself in a mess over there later. You don't want to do that. You want to keep short accounts with God. You want to live close but let's say that because of your old life or some really dumb things you've done you're living under a lot of consequences they're broken homes they're broken lives they're ruined fortunes there's people with broken health there's folks that suffer in consequences for that stuff they did when they was out of fellowship with God. When they weren't walking with God, there's some stuff they did that has left 
some ruined lives and, and, some, and some stinking garbage baggage in their life. I understand that. And what we tend to do as believers is we tend to let that stop us from going forward with God. Satan will use that to ground us. Satan will use that to say, I'm not worthy. God can't use me. Nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to pay any attention to me. Let me tell you how to deal with that. There are two passages of Scripture. Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust in Him. He'll bring it to pass. There's a new way right today. This is a brand new day. Is it, you remember the story of the potter's wheel? You remember when the potter got him some clay and he put it on his table and he made this vessel and the Bible says the vessel was, the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. Something broke and a big old hole came in that piece of pottery. And you know what he said he did? He took that clay, threw it on the floor and just did away with it forever and got some more clay. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says he took that same clay and he made it again another vessel as he saw fit. God's never surprised. God's never outdone. It ain't never so broken he can't fix it. So whatever's left, whatever you have, the Bible says you commit your way to the Lord. You trust in him. He'll bring it to pass. Proverbs 16 and 3. <coughs> commit your work unto the Lord and your plans will succeed. There's a fellow in Union City, my hometown, named Walter Kennan. Walter had been a car dealer. Most of my family was, so I know how crooked they can be. <laughs> Rest of my family's preachers, I don't know <laughs> what that says. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Walter didn't have a very good reputation in town. And he was 70 years old when he got saved. 70 years old when he got saved. He died about 85. He won more people to Jesus in that 15 years that he was a believer than any preacher in that town had ever won to Christ. He would just start talking to people about the Lord and they said, aren't you Walter Kenneth? He said, I sure am. He said, well, we kind of thought you was a thief. He said, let me tell you what Jesus did. And he'd start right there. And he'd walk up to people and they'd run from him. So he'd just quit chasing them until they got home that night and he'd knock on their door. He thought you got away from me, didn't you? He said, you can tell me to leave anytime you want to, but I want to tell you I was a thief and a liar and God changed me. About that minute, people start paying attention. 
Walter would show up in churches he'd never been to before. You know how in country church they announce in the paper they're having a revival? And most of them, that's as much revival as they get is the announcement. But nonetheless, they announce they're having a revival. And old Walter would show up. And he'd say, I want to help y'all. Well, when a preacher hears somebody telling them they want to help him, and think, who is this crazy person? And why would I think that? Why would I think anybody's crazy won't help me do anything? Because we sit here and beg for help all the time, don't get none. So if somebody walks, <laughs> if somebody walks up and we don't know them, say they want to help us with something, something wrong, this dude. And uh, so Walter show up and said, I want to help you have revival. He said, I just need some people to visit. Okay, okay. So they'd be locking up church. Walter still be standing there. Preacher said, darn, he's still here. So the preacher would go find the very worst people he knew. I mean, the most heathen people that he'd ever met. And he'd give Walter that list. Walter would start out the next day hunting for him. Come back on Monday night with the people that he'd had the privilege of seeing come to Jesus. And he'd do that again and again and again. And I'm telling you, in 15 years, that guy won tons of people to Jesus Christ. But it, the conversation always started, weren't you that car dealer? Every conversation started that way. Didn't you used to have that car? I sure did. Let me tell you what Jesus did. <laughs> See, we don't have excuses. Every day is a brand new day. And God will take your life this day and, it, and he'll make it a blessing. Now, I got one more story. Well, well first of all, I won't pray right now again. I won't pray. Can you bow with me? Lord, if there's anybody in here this morning and Satan is telling them they're not good enough, they've said this, they've done that, they've been a part of this, they can't do that. They can't do the other. Their background won't let them do this. Their background won't let them do that. That's Satan. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. You've said right here, if I commit my work to you, you'll bless it. If I put a little effort into what you want done, you'll make sure it happens. And so there's some right here who need to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, this minute, this day, I'm giving you what's left for you to make something pretty out of it. I'm giving you what I have. I don't care. It may have been a lot of pieces. And there may not be much of it left. But whatever it is, I'm giving it to you right now. And I'm going to believe you to make something real pretty out of it for Jesus' sake. Amen? All right. One story and we're through. See, somebody sitting here today and you just really don't know, you've been raised in church, but you really don't know when and if you're a Christian. I mean, you know you believe, but you just don't know much else about that. Let me tell you, uh, I remember being in church. I remember the nursery. I've been in church so long. I had my own path worn in the carpet because every time you did something bad, I thought you needed to get saved again, so I was a busy boy. <laughs> On Sunday, the preacher always had one coming, you know, because he'd hit a nerve somewhere before Sunday was out, and he'd get me. But uh, there's a story uh, about a little fellow one 
August day, and he, he was a little Christian boy and been raised in church, and he loved the Lord. And his mama told him to go out and mow the yard. God is hot. He didn't want to go out and mow the yard. He wanted to sit in the house and play with his video games. This is a modern story. But he didn't want to go outside because he was hot. So he told his mother, no, I'm not going to do it. So she got the happy stick and came after him. That's what we called him at our house. Sometimes he rides with us in the car when the kids were little. He was a little policeman then. You just kind of rattle him between the dashboard and the windshield, and they woke up. But uh, sometimes he was the happy stick. He helped people get over being angry and and being sad, and it made him happy. And uh, so, anyways, Mama got after him. He finally got outside and started mowing the yard, and every step he took, moo, 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 moo. Satan came to him and said, little boy, if you was a Christian, you wouldn't act that way. Christians don't act that way toward their mama. They don't have that kind of attitude. Boy, a little boy got to hurting in his heart. He said, man, I don't know. He said, I thought I was a Christian, but the old devil's right. If I was a real Christian, I ought not act that way. But he's a pretty smart little old boy. So he went around behind the garage, and he found, uh, piled up around there was a bunch of sticks, these little survey stakes, got the sharp points on them. And he got down on his knees right there, and he said, Jesus, I don't know that I've ever asked you to save me or not, but right this minute I'm asking you to save me. I know I'm religious, I know I go to church, but I couldn't tell you for a fact, right this minute, I'm knowing, I'm asking you, come into my heart, and I'm going to write it down on this stick. It's April 26, 2015. April 26, 2015. Right on the stick, he drove it in the ground. Right there, he drove the stake. He knows for a fact, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he asked Jesus into his heart right then, right there. A couple of weeks later, now it's worse in August. His mama told him to go mow the yard again. He didn't want to go mow the yard. It's hot. He wanted to play video games. So he said, I'm not going. So she went and reintroduced him to the happy stick. And he went outside and he's mowing. And every step he's taking. Satan came along and said, little boy, you're not a Christian. If you was a Christian, you wouldn't act that way. Hurt his heart. He got to thinking about it. He said, I need to go in and apologize to my mama. But he said, you come here, devil. And he carried the devil around behind the garage. And he said, you see that stake right there? Right there where it says April 26, 2015. You see that stake? I know, I know, I know, I know I asked Jesus into my heart that day. Now you get out of here and leave me alone. I got to go tell my mom I'm sorry. And he cleaned up things with his mom and got in a good attitude and kept mowing the yard. But there's one thing he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Is that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. Now the musicians are going to come and we're going to pray our final prayer. And that's this. Lord, I just really don't know. I just don't know. We, we know we're sinners. And I know that I'm here in church. And 
Sometimes I'm real active, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm on fire, sometimes I'm not. And if I'm just not real sure whether or not I've believed in you and trusted in you right now on April 26, 2015, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart and save me. I'm settling it right this minute. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. You're almighty God. You sent your son. He died for me. I thank you. I've taken him by the hand. I believe him and I trust him now. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. April 26, 2015, I know, I know, I know. 